Hello, girl and listeners. It's my great pleasure to uh, be speaking today with uh, Jai Thakka from Ahmedabad, India. Now, I thought you would be interested to hear from Jay for three reasons. Uh, one is that uh, he is associated with the research into vernacular furniture in Gujarat, which uh, we heard previously from Mitrodja Bais, uh, whose article uh, outlines that fascinating project. And uh, Jai is one of the people behind that. Uh, the second is uh, we've had a bit of soul searching recently about craft education with the financial stress in universities. Uh, there are calls around to cut those courses which are a little bit more expensive for per student than others, which often is the craft course. So uh, with this in mind, it would be interesting to compare the scene to India, where there's a lot more craft taught in the informal sector, what the role of uh, teaching within the universities is. And thirdly, uh, it's just to hear from uh, Jay himself. Jay is a very interesting figure, one of the most innovative forces in Indian craft today. He's associate professor and exhibition curator at SEPT, which is the Centre for Environmental Planning and Technology in Ahmedabad. And uh, within that, he is the co-founder and executive director of the Design, Innovation and Craft Resource Centre, where so many of these interesting projects are cooked up. So welcome, Jay. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin. It is my pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, hello, everyone. I'm, I'm kind of quite delighted to have a conversation with uh, Kevin. We have been talking since quite some time, and uh, it is now kind of fortunate to be part of the, you know, this podcast. So good morning, everyone. Uh, Jay, in order to uh, get into your world, uh, this seems to be, I understand, a very special time in Ahmedabad, uh, the time of the legendary kite festival. Uh, can you paint a word picture of, of what Ahmedabad is like during this particular moment in the year? So in the normal times, uh, Ahmedabad is buzzing. So the streets are buzzing with uh, people making kites as well as people making firkis, which is what where you basically do the rope, the string. And uh, at this point, major of the places where the corners, junctions, you know, you will find a lot of kite sellers. So it is, it's absolutely colorful. Uh, so from 14th and 15th, two days, you will find people on the terraces flying kites. So the end the sky is filled up with dotted colors across. At the same time, there is a lot of music going on. There is a lot of food which gets prepared at this point. And people travel to each other's places. And the best part about Ahmedabad is the old city, you know, where the entire population and the houses are kind of packed. So over there, people go and actually also rent terraces in order to specially fly kites. Now, this is all in the normal time. But currently in the new normal, uh, I think so there is a, a little mellow down effect, you know, at this point. 
So a lot of people will be on terraces, but they would not be intermingling with other friends and families at this point. And uh, there is a kind of restriction, you know, overall within the Ahmedabad. But we are hoping that possibly 2022 will be far more a better year, you know, to get back into this festive mood again. Yes. Do you see any particular themes in the kite designs that are of interest uh, in recent times? So, uh, of course, every time uh, the kite design is like a representation of what is happening within the society, within the cultural scenario, political scenario. But during the election, of course, you know, a lot of politicians' faces, you know, and the dialogues and the words would be there as part of that. Uh, this time, it is largely the idea of pandemic, idea of social distancing, the idea of masks, you know, idea of being careful, you know. So a lot of health-oriented messages are actually going off, you know, at this point. Even the radio jockeys are kind of trying to figure out, you know, how this entire kite festival would be, you know, and how do you maintain social distancing. Uh, so there's a kind of a joke that uh, once the kite get cut, and if you actually catch it, would you actually sanitize the kite or not? You know, so, uh, there's, there's a kind of, uh, it's a kind of bizarre set of scenario, but I think so. People are still geared up to flying kites. Well, yes, at least it's a, a form of art distancing, if not social distancing, having the kites up there. We've had a very interesting story about kite making from Japan, uh, but we certainly welcome a story about kite making in Ahmedabad. Uh, which seems such a lively uh, practice, and it's uh, something which everyone can enjoy because uh, it's up in the in the sky where everyone can see it. It's not in a particular gallery or other or a home or a museum, so it, it's quite a wonderful public art form to to celebrate. So let's just uh, set the scene, Jai, if you don't mind, and uh, step back and uh, uh, tell us a little about yourself and and. How you got to be where you are uh, in Incept, uh, running this particular centre in craft resource. So I started teaching Incept in 2005. So it's now been kind of nearly 15, 16 years that I've been here. And uh, after basically multiple years of teaching, uh, our course and our pedagogy had always been inclined towards culture, heritage, and crafts. What used to happen is that student would actually go on the field, would live with craftspeople for one month. It was called a living with craft program. We used to take related study programs to various clusters, you know, various cultural places where the students would learn about crafts, about heritage, about lifestyle. So that was anyway a part of a curriculum. But what we realized that a lot of time it was a one-way set of scenario where one would just go and get information or, you know, get knowledge from the craftspeople and they're willing to do that. But we realized that there has to be a kind of a two-way scenario, you know, uh, and a kind of a larger set of an agenda within an educational institution, you know, to deal with crafts and culture of India. So in 2010, we had set up the Design Innovation and Craft Resource Center. The major uh, aim or purpose of the DICRC was to connect crafts back to the interior design and architecture education. 
So in the earlier time, all the vernacular and traditional architecture and the houses were largely made by the local master craftspeople, you know, which over a period of time, there was a kind of a rift, you know, between them due to various reasons of industrialization, the way the construction industry started moving on. So it was a time to reconnect them back with a new set of positioning within the craft sector. And that's how we set up the Design Innovation and Craft Resource Center. Our focus was largely to deal with building crafts, you know, and hence kind of constituting all the crafts that are associated with interiors and architecture. We started with a very thorough set of uh, defining, you know, what is building crafts, what is space making crafts, surface narrative crafts. You know, so that became a first set of an agenda. And then we started moving towards uh, research and documentation. So that became a second part of DICRC, where we did a very extensive research in Gujarat, in uh, Maharashtra, Himachal Pradesh, you know, Uttarakhand, about various set of building crafts. And then we moved to basically amalgamating crafts with design, as well as multiple allied fields. And we started doing multiple workshops. You know, we did workshops with bamboo, Cane, stone, glass, metal, uh, leather, textiles, uh, terracotta, so various sets of crafts and we brought a lot of people together in order to bring innovation in craft or innovation through crafts you know? and hence in some way helping both the craft sector as well as the design sector. We also moved to idea of uh, setting up education, you know, being part of an education institute. So we started doing both ways. So one is where we brought the idea of craft education within a formal structure of university and started developing multiple courses, seminars, roundtable, publications and research. At the same time, we started also doing the education uh, related activities within craft clusters. Hence, talking about variety of, uh, let's say, marketing tools, uh, how materiality can come in, how new technology can become part of the craft sector, uh, bringing new innovation, uh, basically setups within the craft sector. And we started also developing various toolkits, you know, so like craft design innovation toolkits is what we have developed, social innovation uh, community toolkit. Uh, craft experiential tourism toolkit. So we started developing various methods and methodologies, which may not only help the artisans or craftspeople, but also help all the other people associated to crafts, to design, culture, and heritage. You know, so in that sense, we started looking at crafts from a more holistic perspective, but with an agenda to bring them back to education, bring them back to society bring them also within a new format you know, of approach towards market, towards sustainability, towards research. You know? And that's how we kind of have now done 10 years. Uh, so in actually in January, we finish the 10 years of uh, Design Innovation and Craft Resource Center. Yes, it's a, a very impressive history, Jay. And what's notable is the strong emphasis on the vernacular, which is taking in the, the local characteristics into built form, uh, right from your work, uh, Matra, 
looking at the, the poems in Uttar Pradesh, which won the Critics' Choice Award in, in 2009. And then, of course, Sahaj, looking at the furniture of Gujarat uh, that was launched by the chief minister of Gujarat, so obviously had strong local support. There must have been a lot of pride in seeing seeing the culture recognised like that. And But recently you launched uh, a project based in Kutch. Kutch is a, a region that's dear to us. We've got many interesting stories. We've just published uh, one by uh, Rajavanka, uh, the the weaver, in his own words about uh, his work. The Kutchi have got great uh, crafts, but also a lot of entrepreneurialism and confidence. And uh, your project uh, that you launched was called uh, Gundiyali, Beyond Clay. Can you tell us about this project and, and what you learned from it? Yes. So uh, we have been working, uh, Kevin, in Kutch since past basically six years. So we have been working with this uh, small community of terracotta craftspeople. It's in a village called Gundiali. Uh, so there are nearly 125 families practicing terracotta uh, crafts over there. So we have been doing multiple series of projects with them. So every year we actually basically launch a project, you know, which has a larger set of a thematic area. And so we have done a craft design innovation. We have done, uh, let's say, reconfiguring the habitats. We've done social innovation program. So various sets of program we did for last five years. Last year, we launched this uh, project called Celebrating Clay. It was the idea of creating new, basically, forms of cultural production, largely using the craft experiential tourism toolkit. So we uh, got a grant from the uh, British Council uh, at this point as part of the Crafting Futures India program. And we had partnered with uh, Clay Foundation and British Ceramic BNL. The idea was to uh, look at Gundiali from a larger perspective on bringing the tourist towards this village and hence promoting a village as a whole uh, system, you know, as a craft village. Uh, so we started basically working with them, uh, had an initial dialogue with the craftspeople and the entire set of family. And the idea was to bring out stories and narratives you know, from the people themselves about history, about craft practices, about local culture, methodology, food, lifestyles, uh, heritage places, and bringing that to a larger, basically, public domain. And at the same time, we also wanted to make it a landmark village. And hence, we were planning to do uh, international exchange residency, bringing multiple artists from across India and Europe and uh, multiple designers, uh, architects, all together at that village. And the plan was to develop a kind of an installation you know, within the village using the actual craft practices and the materials which were there. Uh, so this was planned in uh, April 2020, but uh, due to the pandemic, we had actually changed our course a little bit, you know, and we, because we couldn't do a live physical residency. So we had set up uh, a digital knowledge exchange program with the uh, people in the village. 
and uh, we were at first point we were little skeptical whether the people in the uh, gundiali village would be able to uh, be part of an online exchange you know knowledge exchange program or not because uh, we are not able to travel to there they will not be able to come over here due to the travel restrictions and uh, this entire knowledge exchange program would happen through mobile phones you know so we were at first point a little skeptical whether this would work or not and uh, to our surprise uh, it was nearly it's like a 200% success you know so we conducted three knowledge exchange program the first one focused towards design for the diverse market the second one was storytelling through technology and products and the third one was looking at local and global trends and the whole idea of doing this was to do two aspects to this one is to basically not only share a knowledge with the craft people but also to generate a dialogue and an exchange through materiality through production you know so during the first one we actually brought multiple set of speakers to talk about variety of markets which are there you know especially possibly post covid scenario what would would be you know which was to expose them that there is a new market which might be emerging post pandemic and the craft people had to actually respond to that scenario and develop multiple products now the best part about this residency was that it was conducted entirely on whatsapp you know so all the speakers video were recorded and sent to them at specific time frames and there were certain basically back and forth task uh, my team would be available 24 hours to explain them uh, what is the video about though it was done in a local regional language some of them was in english so the team would actually basically explain to the entire community through phone calls through video calls so we used to translate this entire thing into gujarati hindi and kachi all together and they would respond us back with the kind of products that they have made you know kind of uh, processes that they are trying to think with new ideas new sketches and uh, it became quite a success so when we started the first session of knowledge exchange program uh, we could take only 30 people for registration because that was the viable number at this point but we got nearly 50 to 60 uh, in people inquiring and in showing interest you know in that entire process and so during the entire knowledge exchange program we were able to do this uh, online exchange with uh, more than 100 people on board uh, interestingly the way we kind of structured was that there would be an introduction then we got multiple speakers across the globe to come and talk about uh, the different thematic areas that we said and there were kind of a task and a dialogues you know which were initiated on whatsapp where people would basically exchange so like in the second session which was about storytelling through technology and products uh, this the craft people were supposed to uh have their own instagram account facebook account you know or youtube channel and they would tell stories you know about their processes about their history about themselves about the life 
and uh, surprisingly we actually got uh, multiple people from different genders who became part of this program you know so people ranging from 18 years to nearly 60 or 70 year old craft people were part of this program as well as men and women you know both participated in this and in order to facilitate this entire process we had two ambassadors you know young two craft people who actually basically moved around and helped us you know do a lot of running around uh, technical part of it people who didn't have possibly smartphones would help them to take stories you know show them the videos uh, or basically help them to document what we did and in the third scenario of local and global trends we actually basically got a lot of people from uk to engage into the dialogue so in that scenario what happened was k on one hand the crafts people were making products or showing photos or videos about the village about what they do and on the second hand the team of artists in uk and india were actually responding to it and developing artwork in response to that you know so in that way it became a truly a global exchange program you know through digital means uh later on we were able to actually uh, develop a, a very dedicated virtual exhibition for this and a dedicated website showcasing our work for past 6 years so uh in that sense it became a kind of a truly a challenging project but at the same time uh, it became highly responsive from the craft people side and we are hoping that post pandemic or once the travel restrictions are up we are able to go back to the village you know and really talk to them and you know get on with the another set of a project with them well this is a very impressive very long term project a lot of time and energy invested in this and we'll include a link to that uh, marvelous interactive exhibition in the show notes for this uh, podcast and i think it's interesting in in a number of ways one is kutch has its fair share of craft pilgrims from all around the world and it must be an important contribution to its economy to the drivers and uh, hotels and uh, communities uh, who sell their work directly to these visitors uh but I'm I'm familiar with uh mostly people who are interested in textiles uh ceramics doesn't always figure as as greatly so putting Gundiali on that map is uh, a very important uh way of opening up uh that interest and the other is in terms of exploring forms of screen exchange and as you say WhatsApp has become universal and uh as a medium for connecting people to the world so the kutchis are very engaged in that we've been doing something similar with our story making events which are looking at the way in which we can apply principles of the experience economy to story making performances as uh, people become entranced at the realization of these stories in the material crafts of the people in Gujarat so there could be a commercial uh outcome there as well and now i'm just curious on the side uh, jay to to ask you about the involvement of the british council obviously the british have been in india for a, a long time although they left about uh, 70 years ago uh and but they do seem very active in the crafts uh 
uh, in India today. And how do you interpret this involvement by the British? Is it uh, continuing the colonial legacy or is it something different? Um, so it was kind of an interesting uh, let's experience working with the British Council this time. Uh, the Crafting Futures program has been at a global level, you know, being uh, going on at multiple different countries. But this is the first time when it became a very full-fledged program within India. You know? And uh, I still remember when the initial discussions were happening and the kind of thematic areas that they were kind of planning. Uh, the craft tourism was not really a part of that. But our project, in some sense, basically had put the idea of craft tourism in the limelight. So that was one of the areas that got included within their larger thematic areas. So that was one major change. Uh, second, British Council through multiple ways, you know, in India have been looking at a lot of art and theatre and performances, but they've never really been engaged directly into crafts and craft practices. So this is the first time uh, that the involvement has been directly associated, you know, with artisans across the you know various part of India, and uh, we see this as a very promising set of an event uh, to to tell whether there is a degree of colonization or uh, post colonization within this is a little difficult affair because I think so in today's time there has been such a mixed set of scenarios with. Uh, of Western influences happening across the globe or kind of transitioning happening at multiple levels, that none of the impact of a larger power is being seen at any point. So let's see how time tells the story. But I do see this as a little promising scenario of the way the artisans have been now coming on forefront uh, at a global level. So. In the next year, we are hoping that some of the people or the work uh, from Gundiali can also become part of British Ceramic Biennale. So that will be a kind of quite an incentive for a lot of artisans in that place. Mm. And I guess we shouldn't forget that uh, uh, countries like the, the UK and certainly here in Australia have a very substantial Indian population. and. Uh, it's not as though India is an entirely separate country. And uh, certainly with Garland magazine, it's people like Mitraja, uh, Manasi Jog, and, and many others who've come to Australia who are actively involved in, in the platform. So in that sense, uh, India and the US obviously is about to inaugurate the vice president of Indian heritage. So uh, the world is becoming Indian at the same time. So we shouldn't forget that. Now, in terms of craft education, to uh, deal with this thorny issue, Jay, uh, one of the principles that seems universal in the 20th century has been the formalization of craft education, which refers to the way in which what was previously taught within a, say, a family workshop, where skills were passed down through generations in an apprenticeship kind of setup, is now moving into institutions like colleges and universities where individuals gain certificates or diplomas for, for, for their skills, which they can then use in, in the world outside. To what extent do you think that's, that's typical of what's happening in India at the moment? 
Um, I think there are three sets of educational trends which are happening, you know, at this point when it comes down to education related to crafts. Uh, the first set is where um, the introduction of crafts is being part of design or architecture education, you know, and they become kind of a reference point, you know, where culture or heritage society becomes a reference point for them to develop. So in which a lot of time it's only the craft knowledge or information becomes part of it, not really the crafts people, you know, who become part of that formal set of an education. So that's one set of a trend which has been developing. A second set of trend is towards uh, where the craftspeople themselves become part of a formal education system you know, and trying to work with designers or trying to develop, you know, craft designers, you know, in eventually as out output you know, of that educational framework. And the third set of a trend is where there are institutions which are opening up for craftspeople people themselves, you know, where the craftspeople are kind of exposed to the world of design, marketing, business, you know, and they themselves become more like a entrepreneur or craft designers. Now, one of the reasons why I'm saying three trends, because this are uh, in some sense temporal, because I see a kind of a, another wave which is emerging at this point across and possibly due to the pandemic it has seen a more stronger impact and that fourth wave is where the dialogue or the channel between the craftspeople and the design world has opened dramatically you know? so in that scenario a lot of people are actually willing to go to the craft clusters, you know, and actually learn from the craftspeople themselves. So the entire legacy of craftspeople only teaching their family members or their immediate family, you know, has now been opened up for multiple designers or artists or anybody who has an interest in crafts and would want to pursue. I think so that channel has opened up uh, within this pandemic time, at least on a very digital forefront and the acceptance of uh, craftspeople also sharing the knowledge vis-a-vis -vis the people interested in crafts, valuing the craft knowledge. So I'm hoping that within this next, let's say a decade, you know, and I'm, I'm using the term decade because in the 10 years, the craft sector is going to see a major reformation, both in terms of sharing what they have at the same time, gaining a larger set of a global knowledge and hence evolving on a much better platform, you know, which will be valued in the society. Mm, indeed, that's a very optimistic uh, note. It was interesting with the Selfridge uh, World Fair to see a number of artisans giving online courses. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if some of the artisans in, in Gujarat start also doing that within their own platforms as well, uh, since, since people are becoming used to that medium for, for teaching. Um, uh, finally, Jay, um, let's get a sense of the kind of values that, that are underpinning all of this, the personal values that uh, really uh, govern the sorts of projects that you develop. Uh, we hear a lot about the, the economic benefit of craft artisans and obviously a lot of projects rightly are about uh, looking 
product design, meeting market expectations, uh, improving technologies uh, so that there is greater profit in craft. Uh, and uh, obviously a number of projects are, are geared towards that. But I'm interested to know whether uh, you see that there are other values beyond the purely economic uh, for craft in India or elsewhere. Um. See, when you, when you start working with the craft sector, and I always basically give an example saying that, especially within the India, when you live in a joint family and you have actually grandmother at your place, you know, or grandfather or grandparents at your place, uh, they bring not only a knowledge or a wisdom of basically their experiences over the time, but they also bring a kind of a values which keep the family together. In that sense, the way I see crafts and the craft sector is one sector which basically keeps the cultural and the heritage value or social value of the society together. So for us, when we deal with craftspeople across multiple set of a project, our primary agenda is to make sure that the craftspeople and the craft value are at the center at this point. Then comes the economic benefit because economic benefit is like a uh, like a base. Like uh, one of my uncle used to say, money is like uh, like gong. It's like wheat. You know, so you can make anything out of it till the point you have it at the base. So in a similar manner for us, the craft values are important because if we're able to somehow transgress the values to a larger society, then eventually there will be economic gain, you know, in the longer run. I guess this has come to a head, particularly with the exodus from the cities, because uh, the cities have been obviously a big drain in, in villages and traditional crafts as individuals, younger people go off uh, in search of economic opportunities there, but now having returned to the villages, uh, looking at uh, ways in which they can fit back into their communities. I imagine that this is uh, an issue of quite a significant moment in India right now. Uh, it, uh, it is migration uh, is a default set of scenario, but one of the good things that we see, and we have generally been kind of quite optimistic at many levels, uh, is that due to this whole, uh, let's say, T4 technology and coming of internet, you know, and the kind of exposure which basically a larger set of market is, the the true picture of what is there on the other side, you know, is very clear, and hence a lot of time that what we have seen. Like a special case in Gundiali also, uh, that a lot of young people within the six years of her work there have actually now come back, you know, and have started working with their fathers, with their grandfathers, you know, on terracotta crafts and taking that business further. So we, we do see a kind of a shift or a movement, you know, where the younger generation exposes themselves to a variety of different knowledge you know, available across India. And then they actually come back to their roots, you know, and which helps craft sector evolve much better. That's what that's what we perceive as. Yes, and I'm sure the attention that you're giving 
Gundiali, the village, uh, is a source of great confidence uh, in all generations uh, to invest more in, in their culture, in their crafts. Uh, Jay, Dekka, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. I look forward to witnessing the rest of your journey and many more projects, I'm sure, to come as uh, we hope to realise the, the optimistic scenario in which uh, many of these activities are revived. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks a lot, Kevin. Uh, we're hoping that we will have another podcast where we can actually talk about the vernacular furniture of Northwest India. Um, because 2021 is going to see a major impact in the kind of research that we have done across four states, Gujarat, Rajasthan, Punjab and Haryana. So let's catch up again, you know, to talk a little bit more about that project, you know, and to tell people about that. There's certainly a lot more to say about that. Let's make a day. Thanks, Jay. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast from Garland Magazine. Please check our website, garlandmag.com, for more stories behind what we make.